0: my groove today been watching race
1: skies move away i just don't think that i can lose and i might just take a cruise and let the sunshine play something more something new something new.
0: welcome back everybody iration always bringing us in each week and as always joined by my good buddy drew at detroit date seven drew how are you living this evening
2: I'm doing well. It's uh, wonderful to be back. Good to see you, Rob. Andy, always a pleasure to see you. Hope you guys are doing all right as well.
1: Yeah, good to see you, buddy.
0: Yeah, and joined by our our really good buddy, Andy Lack, host of Inside the Golf podcast. But also, I just listened this morning to um, the the podcast you dropped that you've got a new partnership with Rick Run Good, and so excited about that. So, Welcome, and why don't you tell us a little bit about that, if you're comfortable?
1: Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I was just joking with Rob off air. I basically had to beg to get on. I mean, pretty much every, every single Monday morning, I... The first thought out of my mind is, okay, is this going to be the week I get invited on the approach? And every single week, Rob tweets out at like Monday at noon, oh, here's this week's guest. And finally, because I'm friends with both of you guys and talk golf with you, both of you guys every day, finally, I started to just take it personally. Honestly, I thought I didn't know what I had to do. I felt really good about the direction my podcast was headed, my yeah. career was headed. I felt I felt like I was checking all the boxes for a potential approach guest, and uh, <laughs> it, it never came my way. So, anyway, I'm honored to be uh, to be on with you guys. I love your podcast. I listen to you guys every week, and I, I don't listen to a lot, so I really I really mean it when I say I love I love your guys's podcast. And thank you so much for the. The uh, compliment about Rick, we're super excited for it. Um, we already host a, a twice weekly show on Tuesdays and Fridays. The Scramble, check that out if you haven't already. It's awesome. And basically, um, what I'm just adding is a bunch of cool written content to his site. Like he yeah. kind of he kind of approached me with the idea of making his site more than just a data website and and really making it more of a content site in general. And so we've been thinking about ideas for the past couple of months. And um, we got some really cool stuff um, in store. So thank you guys. I'm super excited about it too.
0: Yeah. Well, we're super excited to to, to have you. And I, we had to save you for a a big legit man. Yeah. Yeah. Something legit. Okay. And so we, that's that's fair.
2: It's It's the truth.
1: That's (laughs) fair. That's fair.
0: And we were, we were just talking before we went live that, I mean, there's so many great things with this community, one of which is I, I feel so thankful to I actually got to meet you in person. And um, one just how wonderful, I get Andy's one of those people that you meet and you're like, all right, that guy's instantly a good buddy. We played golf. Um, we, we got off to different starts. I, I couldn't have got off to a better start. You couldn't have got <laughs> off to a worse, but you really s- implanted your dominance on uh, a, the par five third. I think you hit it to... 5 feet for eagle, tap an eagle, and then you ran away with it. And it was just fun to see how you maneuvered a golf course because as a, you know, I would say an average golfer, a weekend warrior, you just think of uh, driver, seven iron, green, and you kind of see it differently. And so it was cool to see a very low handicap golfer just maneuver a course. And it was, yeah, it was just cool to see
1: well first of all thank you for saying that i'm a grinder like i i i know how to manufacture a score um it's not always pretty but i even even i even on my bad days i'm still usually able to manufacture a score. i really want to play with drew because yeah. i think me and drew could play straight up and i because i know Dr- drew's looked at my golf swing before and i've seen a couple i've seen drew swing as well so i think that's a potential um, great match. But yeah, thank you for saying that. I, I really, you guys know I'm obsessed with architecture. So for mm-hmm. me, I I like, when I play golf courses, I'm always thinking about things a little bit differently because I'm, I'm kind of curious about the architecture and I try and work backwards from where the pen is and go from there. And so I, I love that type of stuff. As you guys know, from, from listening to my podcast, I nerd on out on that all the time. So yeah, I, we got to do it again. Let's get something going this summer, uh, where we can all play golf together again. Cause that was a blast.
2: For sure, well, I was going to ask you too, like, and you kind of hit on it, because like I play golf kind of the same way, right? Like I almost like playing wrong. methodical golf, picking spots, playing irons, and I feel like I was going to ask you is is the way you kind of plot your way around the golf course is that kind of like what draws you into golf course architect, right? You do, pl-
0: like, plot is aggressive. I, I, hey, he can he can crush it. I, I plot is not the right word. Oh, that, I that hit might it. Be I, fair. This is not Zach Johnson. Andy is not as (laughs) easy.
1: I don't hit a lot of drivers though. Like Rob knows I have a two iron that I hit it. I hit my two iron off of every, almost every I only hit drivers if I absolutely need to. And I think a lot of people don't think they need to hit driver on every hole and they, and they don't. So but that's probably where he gets the plotter thing is I'm, I'm conservative. I play within myself. I've got a really good short game. Like, you know, that's why I play Patrick Reed every week, guys. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I got like to say, also one of the best dressed golfers I played with, the needlepoint club belts that you have are incredible. Very jealous of the needlepoint club game. But, but let, let, let's move forward. I'm super he's excited. He's pumping you up right now, Andy. I, I, you, like, got I, make, you got it. Make it. He's,
1: make, he's making up for it. Getting back in my good graces. I love it.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell Andy whenever I can get into his DMs, I always say I I love having Andy on. And, I, well, maybe I should do a humble brag. is last time that Andy and I talked was on Jerseyway's channel, and you won the Pat Mayo contest before that. And let's give another shout out. We just had Noto, who is a pro, last week, and just won twenty grand on the show last week. And so we're kind of like we're kind of cooking right now. Percolating, Andy. Percolating, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And so I'm just saying, yeah. So Andy, last time we talked, Andy won a GPP. Last time Noto and I talked, Noto won twenty grand. You guys are are you guys are already good at what you do. So likely nothing that influence that we had, but. I mean, maybe there's a trend there. There, maybe there's a trend, and so I'll, I'll just check in with you, Andy. How's your DFS season going? You won Pat Mayo's contest, big score. Yeah. How would you assess your play DFS wise?
1: Good. Uh, this season has been my best season by far. Um, obviously, the Mayo, the Mayo contest was like my only big hit. Um, but I've been, like you said, I've been percolating. I've been tasting it. A lot. I've had a couple really close runs with the uh the $33 single entry. i, I that one I I want that one bad because I keep yeah. I keep tasting that one. Um and I can't quite get it. I did take a bath last week though. I played uh I played way too much like EVR and Tringale And anytime that there's a high six of six percentage, Rob, and you can probably relate yeah. to this. Oh yeah. But any anytime chalk does well, I get killed because I'm I'm not playing those guys. And so when your Keith Mitchells and Will Zalatoris are making the cut, I'm always gonna take a bath because I'm I'm playing Patrick Reed and or some you know. so that's the I didn't do well last week, but um, I you know there's this narrative I want to get your guys' take on this where I've heard a lot already like, oh, the players is so random. It's the hardest week in DFS ever. like do you guys do you guys buy into that at all?
2: I personally don't. I mean, I I think that we kind of have, and and of course the golf course changed in what, 2017, right? So I think we have a sample size enough to kind of know what we need to do, right? So for example, like I feel like people probably put too much into putting. Uh, It's really a ball striker's golf course. And so I think when we talk about that, it kind of narrows it down itself pretty easy. There's weeks that I completely feel out to left field, right? And this week I don't feel that way. And there's guys that we've watched all year long that now we actually can get value on as far as pricing goes and strategy with, with the GPP. And so I, for me, I don't see it that way. Uh, usually the cream rises to the top here for the most part. But, I mean, that's at least my opinion on it.
0: Rob? Well, I, you, Yeah, well, I, I think there's always a bit of randomness that goes with the PGA Tour event. Sure. But, but just like the Honda, which I, I don't know how you can hold – course history in a high regard at a honda when two bad swings can be eight strokes and that's either missing the cut or making the cut or being top 10 to top 40 and so and i listened to again the cut line uh not the cut line i was talking to mike but inside golf podcast to your show this morning and there there's water on or a penalty area on 17 of the 18 holes is that right andy and yeah, so, yeah and, and so
1: you and this has the the most penalty strokes per average at this course outside of PGA West.
0: Yeah, and so you can play great golf, but if you have one to two to three bad swings, you could have a blow up hole and kind of miss the cut, and that inc- incorporates so much variance that this tournament obviously we think it is. It's just we say it's we say it's random, but like you talked about, Andy on Inside the Golf Podcast is. Yeah, the randomness is obviously a variable that we take week to week to week in, in PJ, you know, the, each tournament, but it may be some, especially in the Florida swing, it holds higher, but it doesn't discredit the handicapping process of finding golfers who fit here. I always like to handicap DFS wise in a way of if they simulated this tournament 100 times, where would my golfers fall? in in 100 you know and yeah at 100 tournament simulation so meaning that if i like chris kirk this week maybe 60 percent, and so 60 out of 100 that he would make the cut maybe 10 percent he finishes top 10 because that that kind of takes away the, the the variance a little bit than going tournament to tournament does that make sense
1: yeah it absolutely makes sense and i think it's a I, we, you and I talk about game theory a lot, right? And, and if we're dealing with a course that we think has more variance and uh, a lot higher likelihood that players are going to hit the ball in the water and eject, like I remember last year, like Rory McIlroy came in as one of the tournament favorites. He was the defending champion. And he was like seven over through 12 holes. And it was just, mm-hmm. it was over. And, and there was a lot of buzz around Webb. Webb was playing great. Webb missed the cut. There was buzz around Finau. Finau was playing great. Finau missed the cut. Xander missed the cut. Um, And, and I like that. If, if that happens this week with a lot of the popular players, it's probably going to be a week that I'm going to do well Um, because mm-hmm. I am already looking in the direction of fading most of the more popular names and you know to give to give like the public credit like chalk hit chalk kershner and I battle about this all the time like I do think that the public is getting smarter as a whole um right like with all of the great podcasts that are out there the podcasts that you put out there all the data sites that are out there, Rex and Pat Mayo's and like the public has never had more good information at their disposal to be able to make good decisions. But at the same time, the question that you have to always ask yourself is, okay, this guy that's 20%, is he four times more likely to win the tournament than the guy that's 5%, right? And I usually say no to that question, which is what leads me to the the lower owned guy. So I hope we, I hope it gets interesting this week. I hope it gets a little bloody because last week everyone made the cut. Everyone made the know, cut. Right? 80, every, 80 people made the cut and I played like EVR and Tringale. And so my five yeah, of sixes yeah. got murdered. Right. And I do not <laughs> think that will be the case this week.
0: And, and also that doesn't mean the plays and the strategy that you install were wrong that that's what i i hate that people do and i hate to see is that they take a turn of it tournament by tournament and they say gosh okay i played an evr or a Tringali last week and so the the process that i installed that week was totally wrong which no i you know it, i if they played that week last week at the ip at the api 10 times you know Tringali could finish top 10 two of those times and it's just sure. about identifying. Yeah, the the, the process over it. And we say every week almost that it's – DFS is not a handicapping contest because once you incorporate the idea of we're playing against sometimes hundreds of thousands of other entries in in a contest, that just because we had a particular strategy or a particular way we went about creating our player pool, and if they bounce, it doesn't make it wrong. Uh, And I I think people hold into that weekly – results so we always say like process over results they hold too much value into results and then they change their whole strategy kind of kind of week to week which can kind of you know g- give us some um, you know lack of consistent results i mean drew you
2: talk about that a lot and you say yeah. some a lot a lot of good things on that what do you think people want instant gratification right gpps yeah. are hard to win like let's even the best aren't winning out of you know a, a common clip right and that's the thing so If it's super difficult to win and your process is there, then eventually over time, over week span, month span, if you're doing things process wise correctly, it's going to end up hitting. But people want instant gratification. So people get blacklisted or people are off people's boards based off of results from the previous week. And then that's where, to kind of to your both your points, is where ownership goes down. And then to Andy's point, is this guy four times more likely than this guy to win? Right. And a lot of the times it's it's not it, But people will have this this recency bias to where they're like, OK, we can't go this way because X player didn't play well last week. And I think this week in particular is a very interesting one because of the carnage we saw at Bay Hill. Right. Like people will look at some of those scores and they're going to be like, well, this guy played terribly, finished eight over. Well, if you actually look at what kind of transpired, uh, that might not be the case. So I think everybody kind of wants that instant gratification and it just doesn't always work like that. If the process is correct, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. And and what I think people do too often is if they have a bad week, they change everything up. Right. Or even if they hear like, Oh, TPC Sawgrass is this completely different situation than they go about handicapping TPC Sawgrass or their strategy or their contest selection. Um, so much differently than they would any other tournament. And I I don't do that. I'm not I'm doing the same thing that I do every single week in DraftKings. Obviously, the way that I look at TPC Sawgrass is different than the way that I look at The Masters, right? I'm putting different things in my model, sure. but in terms of my actual research process and how I go about constructing my player pool and my builds, I'm staying the same because that is what has worked for me long term. It's not going to work every single week, but I'm totally with you guys. I think sticking to a plan that works for you, I think there are a ton of ways that you could go about it. I have a very tight player pool and tend to lean towards guys at lower ownership. I know guys that use a much bigger player pool. I know guys that like to play a lot different contests than I do and stuff like that. Like find whatever works for you and do it for at least like, Four or five months, at least, before mm-hmm. you abort is is what I would say.
2: And you're going to yeah, fall gets- on your face, right, with that, like with that philosophy, right? If you have a small, tight player pool with low ownership, there's going to be weeks where you just fall on your face, right? And it, that's just the way it is. Like, again, it's it to be profitable in the long run, there needs to be a process and kind of a plan in place instead of just throwing darts at a golfer, you know, unless your powers or whatnot with the first round leader action. But I, I think that's, it's important to figure out what your process is.
0: Yeah. And and I loved, obviously I'm a huge fan of Noto of Derek and having him on last week was, was awesome. And he was referencing SDL Cardinals, which is a DFS legend in multiple sports. And his strategy was one of the most unique that I've ever heard is that he picks a small player pool, and weights twenty percent on every single golfer, and so the the vast majority are going to be you're going to have duds week to week. But if your player pool in that week kind of hits, well, then you're actually increasing with its strategy of finishing the top percent of a, of a GPP, and that's the that's the ultimate goal. And so we talk so often about strokes gain data and how we want to decipher it and how we want to analyze it, but really finding, Andy, what you talk about, finding what works for us in the realm of understanding that in GPPs and DFS, the real game is we're competing against thousands of, of other people just like us, and it's not a handicapping contest because, unfortunately, with strokes gain data, which leads everybody to similar golfers, Ownership is going to be so condensed that we're not going to be able to d- differentiate ourselves into like a million maker like we got this week. And so, Andy, you and I, I told you when we golf that I have not that I'm a STL Cardinals or a noto, but you know, I, I, I've done okay. And in, in yeah, you,
1: you're being modest, you've had some I, been, big wins.
0: Yeah. And, and so, I have trust issues with a lot of podcasts out there. But, but yours, you conceptualize it in, in a way that I'm like, all right, Andy gets it. And so the goal of this approach podcast is to help people develop a strategy and an approach that works. And so if you don't mind sharing a little bit about how you go about your DFS strategy week to week and how you conceptualize a tournament like we got the, with the players, that might be a little bit more variables of the unknowns.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, by the way. And I I tend to, I'm not a 50 lineup or 150 lineup guy. I am a eight to 15 lineups per week. And I all I do, I hand build all of them. I play all of the single entries from five to 200 and I play some of the three maxes. And then I play some of the listener leagues and stuff. I play, I play max out and pats and I, I do Nagels and, and all the listeners leagues too. So that usually puts me at around like between eight and 15 lineups. And I do a tight player pool, which is between like 14 and 20 max players each week and usually i'm above the field on on every single guy that i'm playing right i I kind of i personally and i know some people do it differently like i like to go pretty like top heavy where i'm pretty high uh, Mm -hmm. i I will generally never play more than four or five guys on above 9k if i'm going to spread out I, i like to kind of spread out at the bottom and do kind of like a cascading pyramid thing where I diversify at the bottom because chalk at the top doesn't matter for me whatsoever, because I know I'm always going to be on guys that guys aren't on at the bottom. So I don't ever have to worry about chalk at the top, really like over nine K chalk. I don't ever have to worry about because I know I'm going to be playing guys in the six and sevens that people aren't. And I don't play seven K chalk ever. I don't play mm-hmm. anyone seven K over 10%. Very rarely. I did. I I did Chris Kirk at the Honda because I loved Chris Kirk so much, but I have to be very, very high on a guy like that to play somebody over like 12% um, in the sevens. And so for me, like, as you kind of mentioned, drew it's a tight, it's a pretty tight core for me. Right. And so when I hit generally my lineups do pretty well. And the week that I won Mayo, I was circling in a bunch of other stuff And the weeks that I do poorly, I'm not, I'm not gonna do well. But to me, in my opinion, I've had the best success like taking a stand. And I usually like I'm usually really, really heavy on one or two guys at the top. I'm sure we'll get into them this week. And then I I find guys, I think what I'm probably best at, the way I've made my most money is through matchups and top 40 plays and betting. So I think my biggest strength is being able to identify some of the lower price golfers that are, um, maybe mispriced down there. And we don't have as much information on. And like, that's how I think I'm going to win. Right. Is by like at the top, that's, fine, whatever. It's easy to pick there, but I I think why I'm able, why I've been able to do a little bit better is being able to identify the guys closer to the bottom.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, and Drew, what do you you think? Because you excel, I think, at that range. What do you think?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, he makes a great point. So chalk at the top, there's going to be guys that you are going to have a really good feeling about on each individual week, and you could care less if it's, say, a guy's 30% owned. It just doesn't matter right yeah. you're willing to you're willing to take the chalk with that but then you you create value and you kind of differentiate yourself towards the bottom of the lineup and and i know rob loved it. you'll sprinkle in your six k guys and and like for example last week like a bo hostler right like that made people money and i know that it, it fluctuated you know as far as his play but i think that digging deep into like the lower down seven six k guys with with five or less percent ownership allows you to kind of forget about projected ownership at the top. If there's a guy that you like, if you say this week that John Rahm is going to have a hell of a week and he's going to be 32% owned, you just don't care because to Andy's point, you're gaining so much value and you're differentiating your lineup with random guys down at the bottom that you're taking a flyer on. And if it hits, you look great and, and you make money and it's a successful week. Um, if they don't, then they don't. But again, that's how it, when you talk about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, you have to take these wild card shots. You can't just just go with with kind of standard five to ten percent guys owned in certain ranges. You have to cap your overall ownership percentage somewhere. And so I'm great with if at the top of the board, if there's a guy you're confident in, roll with it. But you need to, if that's your approach, you have to make sure that you differentiate and kind of go a different way towards the bottom.
1: Oh, can I ask you guys one question too because I'm curious about how you do this? I also um and I use fan share on Wednesday night. I calculate all of the project I add it all up for every single lineup and I make sure I never go above 70% in any single one of my lineups. That's probably more on the risky side than most. I think you mm-hmm. can probably get away with being a little chalkier than that. Do you guys do that? Do you guys have like a number in mind that you always stay below?
0: Yeah. So like cumulative ownership, I, I try to stay below 90. Yeah. And some weeks, I'm very aggressive
1: with the 70. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I,
0: but I, I, think, I think that's great. I, I love Are being aggressive. Yeah. I love being aggressive with that because. You know, I always one of my best weeks, and it was the week that never was, was the Palmetto last week. And and Drew, Drew knows it. I one of my strategies is going one of my highest owned golfers being in the 6K and 7K range. What happened at the Palmetto was I one of my highest owned golfers was Cheston Hadley at less than a percent owned. And he was winning the golf golf tournament through the first three rounds. When you get that cumulative ownership under a specific amount and you have just uh, one of those weeks where the stars are lined, if it's under 70, like you're talking about, Andy, you have such a higher advantage of finishing in the 1% in the GPP than weeks where it doesn't. And you just have to be able to take the Pepto and stomach it week to week when maybe chalk hits like it has last couple but when you get that opportunity where it doesn't, and I think this week is a perfect example when it probably won't, we get wind, we get rain, we get the, the sub air. Like what's oh, that going to do? Oh, yeah, my God. I'm, I'm looking for it because I have, I have a buddy. Let me ask you this, Andy, not to change the subject, but I have a buddy Ian who, who is, is a good guy who talks about, okay, how should we stack tea times this week? Because we get the opportunity of weather, we get the opportunity of wind, and we also get the opportunity that, that the the round might be suspended due to lightning or something else. How are we approaching tea time stacks, and how are we approaching if we're even considering that at all? What What are you thinking?
1: Okay, so I haven't quite figured out what I'm going to do for this week, but you guys touched on such an important point, and this is one thing that I've— Learned by, um, I've been lucky enough to become friends with a couple guys that play super high stakes and are listeners of the show and and have been at this way longer than I have. And like, you have to pay attention to stuff like that. So at Bay Hill, there was a two-stroke advantage from going PMM, yeah. like yeah. that. And I and know nobody that talked about it. No like, one nobody nobody about talked it. about it.
0: And, and I that's why believe that.
1: And that's why me and Rick conceptualize the idea of adding Wednesday DFS content for me to do because I can't get there in a Sunday show. Like I just, I don't have the ability to get to those, that type of stuff in a Sunday show or on my Monday night show, right? The weather changes very quickly, but people ask me like, Oh, you talked up Will Zalatoris and Keith Mitchell in your Sunday show. You didn't play any of those guys in DFS. It's like, yeah, because DFS is a different (laughs) game. Like you have to consider Mm -hmm. these other factors, but To answer your question about Sawgrass, I'm still trying to figure it out, right? Like I have my pool, um, that I like, I have my pivots. Um, I have some more talking and thinking to do. I think the weather is going to change a couple more times between now and then, um, I'm not going to build any lineups until Wednesday afternoon evening because mm-hmm. I bet you some things are going to change. I have the great Steve Bamford coming on my podcast tomorrow yes, morning. Yes, so you I'm, do. I'm excited ooh, to talk. Ooh. I'm excited ooh, to ooh. talk to him about it too. But um, yeah, I don't know how they're going to finish this tournament. I, to be honest with you, just looking at it now, unless some things change, the point that I was making with the sub air system, right? is that you look at the weather forecast and there's thunderstorms throughout the day, but there are not as many thunderstorms at night. So what they can do is they can turn the sub air system on during the night and dry those greens out, even if you're getting rain during the day. You can't run the subair when rain's actually coming down. Now, if it rains all day, every day, there's nothing they can do with the subair. But you have to think, it's Florida, and Florida usually gets... Um, intermittent rain showers. They don't yep. usually get dumped on all day, right? And it says in the forecast scattered rain, which is the right. only point that I was trying to make. Was that yes, I'm aware right. that you can't the sub air doesn't work if it, there's a torrential downpour. But if there's scattered rain showers and there's not rain during the night, then you can turn the sub air on when it's not raining during the it. It doesn't matter. It, it it's irrelevant. But the the point being. <laughs> It gets me so frustrated, but the point being is I'm, I'm not sure yet. Guys, are you, what are you thinking? It's cold too. Have you guys seen that? Like it's Sunday. It's going to be brutally colder. It's windy. Like, is that changing? Like, are you, I feel like the obvious thing that everyone's going to do is like, oh, let's, let's push Shane Lowry and Matt Fitzpatrick. Like, are you, are you guys changing like how you're, uh, handicapping, how your player pool, like the types of players, uh, you think this is going to be more like an open championship week? Like, w- what are you guys doing?
0: Well, I'll, I'll, let me just say one thing real quick. And then drew, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you take the mic. And if I misspeak, I, I very much apologize. But speaking of STL Cardinals, I think it was him who I, I think is one of the most brilliant GPV players. Is there was an open championship one year when everyone thought and the open championship the tee time stacks are um, exaggerated most, because the because most everyone important. starts yeah yep, yeah because everyone starts on one right everyone yeah. starts on one. So everyone, the weather said that every everybody starting in the morning was going to have so much of advantage than people starting the afternoon. And so, what does the wise man of STL Cardinals do? He stacks the PM tea time wave because he knows that there's this narrative building within the AMT, AMT time stack. And so he says, it doesn't matter what, what, what the advantage play. If there's an advantage within groupthink, then I'm gonna take advantage of that. And he ended up winning the millie maker. And if it's not STL Cardinals, it was somebody else, but I'm pretty sure it's him that capitalized on that. And so there, there's so many variables with TPC Sawgrass. And then you get the variables that there could be storms coming through and there could be delays. And so it's impossible. Yeah. To try to understand that a specific wave will get an advantage because if there's a a four hour delay, well then a PM WM does not manage that does not matter at all. And so I'll hang up and listen. But Drew, what do you think?
2: <laughs> yeah, I kind <clears> of <throat> excuse me. I kind of agree. So like I think that way too much emphasis is put into conditions and fading or playing people based off of what the projected wind or you know wind weather is going to do. So, like, if you if you go with that approach, are you completely missing out on guys that, I mean, it's the PGA, right? Conditions are certainly important, but, but to put all your chips or most of your chips in a basket, basing it off of weather, we don't know what exactly the, the accumulation of rain is going to be. We don't know how things are going to play out. Once we get to Friday, then who the hell knows what's going to happen on the weekend? Everything's reset at that point. And I think David said something earlier in the chat, and and this is also something that people do in in DFS, is let's just fade the guy that won. I'm Mm -hmm. okay with that philosophy to an extent if we're outright betting, okay, because the rarity of somebody hitting back-to-back weeks. But DFS-wise, everybody tends to want to fade the guy that just won, and that I'm against, right? I'll be playing Scottie Shuffler this week. Andy, you've talked forever on how you love Scottie Shoveler. A guy can basically win anywhere, right? Tough conditions, birdie fests, but like people put too much emphasis and stuff like that. DFS wise, you play the guy that's hot, right? What our process every week is okay, how's this guy trending? So why the hell are we pivoting off of the guy that's playing the best golf? So I, I again, I'd be weary of putting too much stock one way or the other in AM, PM waves. Um, play the guys that you got to think are going to play well. And, and I think everything else is kind of like, you, you know, plays itself out right and and it'll probably be beneficial to do your way in the end.
1: Yeah, sub sub 5% I think Tom Hoagie in Phoenix finished top 10 sub Let's go, sub Hoagie. 10% tub, sub 10% Scheffler after winning Phoenix finished solo 7th at Riviera like those were the those are the guys that if you played them, you won all the money. So I totally agree with you. The one thing I will say, and I want to ask your guys, is sorry, I tend to hijack podcasts and ask the host questions. No, we love it. Hijack but, it
0: up, baby. Beat of baby. But I
1: I actually think this is a rare instance where the players that contended at Bay Hill might just be really freaking wiped. Like you listen to the quotes that they said after the round, like Horschel was like out of breath. Like if this tournament was like 92 holes, like I think they would have collapsed, right? I think Rory, some of the things that he said, he, Rory's getting killed right now. It's like, okay, well, you know, all these athletes, like if it's if it's a, a different sport, like they usually, they don't have a microphone in their face the second the round's over. And the, the dude who's used to shooting 63 at the Summit Club every week just shot 78 on a course that, with conditions that he never gets to practice on at home. I can tell you one thing, medalist and the bears club where they practice are not giving conditions like this ever. So do you guys, one narrative that I'm going with is I don't know if I want to play the guys that were in contention last week, because I think that that specific grind of that course, maybe I'm wrong, but it, it felt to me, you guys know I'm a big quotes guy, I look at, I look at quotes just as much as I look at numbers. It felt to me like it took a lot out of the players. Do you think I'm maybe overrating that a little bit?
0: No, no? not not at all. L- l- let me tell you one thing and I am so biased. So take this with a grain of salt, but Andy, you know, um, I guess the day job is, is a therapist. And so as a therapist, you have to study human behavior and I'm going to be maybe a bad guy real quick and say that, unfortunately, as humans, we are not, or maybe I should repeat, is that we are—we don't think as unique as we think we do. So every unique, so if you're listening to this positive, uh, podcast right now, or if you're listening to it live, you are a unique individual. But unfortunately, how we conceptualize things like a golf tournament right now, we are not as unique as we think we are. And that is a flaw in the whole handicapping process. And so what we wanna identify is things like group think or things like confirmation bias, things along those lines that help us identify that, hey, how can I get an advantage over the the, the masses? That unfortunately is not a strength of human behavior and doesn't come natural. If you can develop that, that is a key component because there's so many pros. Like I would analyze, like Tambo and all, pretty much all the boys that run pure. Then you got Noto and and awesome and all these wonderful people. Whether they realize it or not, they're incorporating some sort of game theory because they're capitalizing on the psychological impact of people in their same contest they're outthinking their their own com, com, com competitors in a specific way. So we come back to your original question, am I considering this kind of yes, but I really want to hype the point that is, we have to understand our own biases in the sense of what is it doing to making me have an advantage over or a disadvantage against the people I'm competing against. So I kind of hijacked your question, Andy. And I I you bring that up so well whether it's consciously or unconsciously um but it's one of the reasons why I respect you so much. So I'm going to leave it to Drew and just kind of hang up and listen and I'm feeding this to Drew and maybe and not a popular way but I, cuz I didn't answer your question but I just wanted to say that because I think
2: it's something you do really well but Drew go ahead. I kind of want to hijack yours as well. So we're just, yeah. everything's just, everybody's getting hijacked at this point. <laughs> um and this might be a little outside of DFS. Do you think one the players going from May to March in the way that it's yes. pushed into the schedule right now and just basically a brutal stretch of golf. Are we going to see players not playing at Bay Hill moving forward? And I don't want to say like everybody and because I think Arnie and his, you know, his career are going to bring people back, but like, God, they got their asses beat last week and it was yeah. hard to watch. Right. Yeah. And so you think you go Honda you go API, then you go to the players. I mean, there's guys like that are sitting back that are feeling confident with their games. When meanwhile, there's Paul Casey who just fired 83 or whatever it was like that has to be on their mind. Do you think moving it from May to March kind of, for lack of a better word, kind of screwed the the surrounding events that might lead up to the players?
1: I think we're going to see a much weaker field at the API last year. I mean, who want, like yeah. if you're Paul Casey in that scenario, and I think that's kind of what Rory was saying, like the quote kind of yeah. got taken out of context. What Rory was saying is like, look, we're playing for $20 million this week at the players. It's the biggest person PGA tour history. Like that's another thing to think about, right? This is literally the most money that any of these guys yeah. have ever played for in their entire life. Do you really want your final competitive round before doing that to be an 85? <laughs> right? right, like that, right? So, uh, you know, I, I, we can the fairness of the course and the conditions of the course is an entirely different podcast that you guys sure. know I have some takes on. But to answer your question, Drew, yeah, I think that when the right tour players talk, the PGA tour listens. Right. And I think when Rory says stuff like and then we can get into the whole thing is like, yeah, the Saudi things kind of died. But like the PGA Tour players are going to like they've got some leverage in this situation. Right. If the PGA Tour is setting up courses to embarrass them, they could say we're fine. We'll go somewhere else. Right. So I I don't know if we'll see that last year. I thought it was incredibly watchable and incredibly fun i think there were some things that were a little gimmicky but i don't know if they're gonna dial it up as much as they did and this was a thing that i talked about in my sunday show i said they got a new superintendent that is for lack of a better uh, he is a menace this guy chris flynn like he (laughs) like you listen to the way chris flynn talks about his golf course And he is like, this is, we're keeping the rough. We're shaving off all these areas. And unfortunately it wasn't able to help me as much in my handicap as I would have liked this week. But yeah, these are the things that I am thinking about the, the weather, the March to may change. These are completely different greens. Like these overseeded greens are completely different. They're not a grainy Bermuda. They're overseeded with, um, with POA. It's the same greens you see at, at, at Phoenix. And, um, it's different weather this time of year. Not only did they oversee the greens, they oversee the grass. Now there's rye in the grass, which cha- I don't need to go down that whole rabbit hole, but like, yes, these are the things that I look at for better or worse. Drill. <laughs> for sure. All
0: right. So, so guys, I have to. Uh, we could talk about strategy all night. If we're yeah. Let's already talk about the players. Forty-two minutes. Let's talk about the players. And there's one particular player that I just had. I, and I'm excited to talk about with Andy, and that's Brooks Kepka. Mm. Andy, you mentioned on your podcast he's your pick to win. I was talking to a good friend of mine and that's uh, Hunter uh, that Huntman DFS and, and he asked, who's your pick to win the player last week?" and and I said, Brooks Kepka, but when DK released their prices and BK came at eighty six hundred, Heart drops. So I was like, God, she's going to be so highly owned. And now you see, because I think there's an exact correlation with people, on, and it's unfortunate, but people who are hyping up a particular player at a, on a betting card, which Brooks is a great bet between yes. 35 and 55. He's an ex- excellent bet. But then there's a correlation with the ownership in DFS with that. And he, he's he is a much better play between Burger and Finau, I'm worried about his ownership I think he'll be 25% owned I think Oh Brooks my gosh really Yeah I do and but to me it doesn't matter there's so many signs to the signs that you alluded in your podcast so go listen to Andy about why Brooks is the winner but I really still think he's the winner so I'm going to have to go majority overweight in but I, I, I'm so mad at DK for going 8,600 on Brooks Kepka. I, I still, I'm going to go overweight on him, but I want to get everyone's thought. So, you and Drew, I want to get your thought too on what we think about BK right now.
1: Well, again, I'm just. I'm turning it right back on you guys, but do you think that he's going to be a second man in for guys or or a third man in for guys? Because I could see a lot of people. Can you make it work where you can go? Like I don't have a the salaries up in front of me. Where you can go? I think a very popular build is going to be can't Cantley, because you can fit those guys yeah. in pretty well together and still yeah. have a fair amount of money and. You have guys at the bottom like Gooch and Casey and Mito, who are gonna be mega chalk, but can you fit a lineup of like Cantley Mor- Morikawa Cantley Brooks and then go down to those low sevens where you get Gooch in there and you get Mito in there and you get Casey in there? Because I'm telling you that people are people are going to do that. That is going to be very, very popular. Um, I didn't I wasn't thinking 20. Um I've been told now from some of the other DFS guys that I talked to that the Sunday show is starting to have more of an impact than I would like, unfortunately. But I still think that Brooks he's hard to trust, right? It's not like he he I think a lot of people look at the betting number and think he's a great bet, which he is a great bet at 40 yeah, to one. But I, I I still thought that people would have a harder time trusting a guy like Brooks over a guy like Berger in their DFS lineups. But you're right. Like I, I think something that people fail to realize is that most people like to play in DFS, the guys that they bet, which is the yeah, whole problem no that doubt. we've been talking about the whole right. time. It's like, I don't do that. I, yeah. I, I, the guys that I handicap are different than the guys that I play in DFS. And I yeah. think if Brooks is a popular bet which it's seeming like he is. I bet him last week at 41. I woke up on Monday morning and everyone was like Brooks 50. And I was like, Oh my God. I put the bet in through Brian. Who's in like Mexico right now. So I couldn't, yeah, even, right. I couldn't you didn't even know cash. if that's a
2: reputable book. He bet yeah. couldn't could even and cash out
1: or anything. So <laughs> I think a lot of people bet the Brooks 50. I think a lot of people did. And I think, I think you're right. I think that 25 feels high because I think that's, I mean Burr I'm just looking at it now. like are pe- are people just going to Sal Taurus is 25% last week are people just going to completely abort that like there's there's yeah. so many good players in 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 this range and like I I know Finau is going to be sub 8 and I'm going to play the shit out of Finau. Uh, I bet Finau too but yeah you're right I w- I'm a little worried about Brooks's Brooks's ownership too
2: I think one of the things well, yeah, too with I, I, Brooks. I, I, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead. Sorry, go go ahead, Rob. Oh, my bad. Well, I'll, I'm just gonna say one thing. I, I
0: I firmly believe that everyone's gonna start their lineups with Rom, Kawa, Thomas, and then go immediately down to BK to Brooks Kepka. I think that's how people are starting their lineups, and if they do, then that makes the, you know, Mito's the Aaron Wise even more chalkier. But I, yeah. I believe that everyone's first click is one of those two guys and then it's then it's Brooks Kepka and then it's people scrolling down to to the six K range. Um I, I think
2: it's 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 stupid. I, I really do, but 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 Drew, my boy, go ahead. Yeah, another reason why I like DJ and, and DFS, um I know the form's not been there, but the, the other thing I think and Brooks Kepka as we follow this along, Brooks Kepka has been under-owned consistently in DFS, right? Yeah. His ownership numbers have been very low. Now, the narrative of this being the fifth major, right? This being a course in a tournament that he actually shows up for, I do think plays into the ownership percentage this week. Um, and yeah, 8,600 pricing him right there. It's it's interesting. I mean, Zalatoris, I, I know how bad Zalatoris has been with the flat stick. If I can get a good percentage on Will's Alatoris. I'm willing to just put that aside and roll forward. But I do think that the the difficulty of the golf course, the, the major like atmosphere will probably propel Brooks up higher than we want.
1: Yeah. I'm just doing I was building lineups right now and you're kind of right, Rob. You kind of you kind of do get squeezed a little bit if Brooks is your third man in with Cantlay and Morikawa, but you could still go like Morikawa, Cantlay, Brooks, Mito, Gooch, and like Brian yeah. Harmon at 69 or Keegan. Yeah. Uh, Bubba yeah. or Harold, or Harold Varner. And even if you want to have Brooks be your second man in, then you've got a ton of options. Yeah. So, so sure. you, you guys are, you guys are probably right. Like you guys know me, like I'm going to play, I'm going to play like a 4% speeth. I'm going to play a 4% fee Like you can have, if Brooks is too high, I'll, I'll pivot and 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 I, I'll stick around with Will Z too. Like if Will's Will Z, I think will go under owned here. And yeah, I don't love yeah. this golf course for him as much as I love Bay Hill, but I I like it for him. And he's hitting he's hitting the ball really well. And this is kind of the argument I made with Rom too. Is like Zalatoris is putting like he's losing one stroke a week right? Like it's not a, and Justin Thomas won this tournament last year, gaining one stroke putting. So it's not like Zalatoris going from minus one to plus one with the putter is a bridge too far for him, right? Like if a guy like Zalatoris or Rom is a neutral putter, they're up there. They're in the top five with the way that they're hitting it right now. So yeah, I you make a good point about Brooks and you're probably right. I can see a lot of people using that high end guy and having Brooks be the second guy and then you have so many options down there.
2: And Andy, I think yeah, and- I remember you saying, sorry Rob, real quick, it, and we talked about the move from May to March, but like the way that the greens are set up, it's not typical Bermuda and it almost kind of brings in the the bad putters and kind of neutralizes that a little bit, right? And, and that's kind of what we saw last year where the ball striking becomes super important. So, like, I wouldn't get sold on the idea where, hey, Zalatoris is a terrible putter, always well, 115 in the last 24 in, in the field. So, like, again, if I'm leaning anyway, I'm leaning to ball striking, and Zalatoris kind of fills that.
0: Well, yeah. And so, let me just say this. So, if you're trying to get, because not just identifying one contrarian play in a lineup is not enough. You, you want to think, how are other cats creating their lineups? And so instead of making Brooks your second or third guy selecting the lineup, make Brooks your first. And yeah. you go extremely balanced, balanced build. The wind, we already have forecasted. Again, it's a Monday night, so things can change. But it's going to be super windy over the weekend. And you got some of the best wind players uh, on earth here. you got Adam Scott, who's a great wind player. Love him. Love Sam Burns for the reason that you described, Andy, on your Inside the Golf podcast. Winner at Copperhead uh, at the Valspar. Gained six over six strokes putting at that event. And that grainy type of Bermuda. This isn't a uh, nor, normal Bermuda that, that that you've talked about on your podcast. And and so we spent a lot of time talking about DFS strategy. We're we're well over our allotted time. And I'm sorry, Andy Lack to keep you so long. And so I'll just say that Scott and and uh Bermuda Ben are, are one of my favorite plays right now. And so if we just had to kind of slowly wrap up this podcast, Andy, who are are maybe a couple sleepers under the radar plays that you really, really like this week that Maybe a couple of fillers that are going to be in your DFS lineups.
1: Okay, well I already revealed that I love Spieth and Finau this week. I just yeah. don't. I don't think that they're going to get any ownership. And Finau hit it so well at Riviera, and he just hasn't been able to putt. And Speeth, there's a thing about like, a, this isn't a Spieth course, and. I just don't buy that. Like I, I looked at some Jordan Spieth quotes. Like Spieth loves this course. This is a course where you have yeah. to be creative and hit a lot of different shots, right? And Speeth loves courses where you have to be creative, and especially these are very small greens too. Like especially if we get some more wind and some more rain, and um, short game becomes a little bit more more important. Like I'll take Jordan Speeth That I, I looked at an early ownership projection, and Spieth was like two point seven percent. So I'll I'll take Jordan Spieth all day farther down the board. Um, I think you can get a, the way that I will probably be. So I really love Corey Connors. Like I am playing Corey Connors this week at, at whatever whatever ownership it is. And I think that Gooch, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think that Gooch and Casey, Will be both more popular For than sure. Connor's, and so I'm not super yeah. worried about Connor's ownership. And then again, because Casey and Gooch are going to be down there, and there's still a bunch mm-hmm. of you know great ball strikers like Luke List down there too. Um, I'll play Norin give me Alex Noren in, in, in harder, windier conditions. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, so I think that's a way where you can get away from, from some of the, the Mito chalk too, like n- give me Noren and Mackenzie Hughes and speeth and, and we'll yuck it up and we'll see what happens.
0: Andy, you conceptualize it the way I love, I love Noren. I love Corey Connors. Again, you, you pointed out so well on your podcast that unfortunately with these greens, It kind of uh, neutralizes great putters, and we saw Sergio continue. We saw uh, JT win last year. We saw Corey Connors had a great top 10 last year. It neutralizes great putters. Let's get Corey Connors, a great ball striker, a guy who had a great tournament last week ball striking-wise. In the last four rounds, he ranks fourth in ball striking metrics, and that's a, a combination of approach, ball striking, and off the tee. Give me Corey Connors, but Drew, I'll hang up and
2: listen. Yeah, I'll hit it real quick. I'm going. I will go to Tyrrell Hatton. I'll go back to the Tyrrell Hatton. Well, um, a guy that just kind of does everything well. Um, I mean, he gets a little loose off the tee, but we're looking at two and a half inch rough, or two and a half inch rough this week, so I don't think it's overly penal. Um, he may have a little uptick from ownership from the way he played last week, um, but I will be happy to go back to him. Um, moving down the board, I will probably go back to Russell Knox. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, another good player in the winds, um, and, and really just a fantastic iron game as far as a ball striker, final guy. I'm going to go back to him, Tom Hoagie. Now, Tom Hoagie, me too. if we yeah, yeah. were,
0: Tom Hoagie <laughs> is the outright play this yeah.
1: week. I'm, I yeah, like Hoagie I, a lot I, too. I love I Hoagie. Hoagie. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I mean, he's at 7,000, right? Yeah. We get a Tom Ogie at 7,000 who was, I believe, like seven over after Thursday at Bay Hill and kind of fought his way and, and had a decent week. So those are kind of the guys that I'm looking. Not and Rob, if you have a sicko in the 6K range, I'm not going to dig down that far as at this point. Me neither. Those are a few guys I like in that area.
1: I have one. I know we're short on time. I have one final question for you before we get out of here. Um, I've done a little perusing on Twitter today. Uh, I've had some active golf group chats. I haven't really gotten to listen to any podcasts or anything yet, but is Xander in the field this week? Is he playing? Like, do we know know Xander's playing? I'm almost, I almost don't want to say it, but I just, I like, I like how this is setting up for me, boys.
0: Well I, yeah, how could you not I think Xander is the forgotten man. People are loving For DJ sure. because yeah, because of Nunder. There's no Bryson. Cam Smith will always guard our ship. Scotty the winner. Xander is gonna be I think gonna be the lowest he'll be this week out of oh, any God. tournament the rest of the yeah, out of any tournament the rest of the year. And we know what the players can be. And this is this is a can we see Xander winning this week? Yes. So I, I, I'm partially with you. If I see on Fanshare starting tomorrow, if I see them sub 10%, yeah, I'm I'm fudging adding a lot of Xander ownership to, to my lineups. I'll just say one, and this goes out to a shout-out to my boy D Flowers. We always love D Flowers. I am not an Aaron Wise guy. I I, I think he's continually overpriced and over-owned, but this – is an Aaron wise week. And I I'm botting, I'm botting the bullet with him. I love that Xander call, but again, we took a lot of your time, Andy, you are such a pro. We love you. You're the man. Any other thoughts that you have before we set this to bed and we turn a page on the Tuesday?
1: No, that's it. I was going to say, I was just going to say, you're so it's like, Oh, Xander Xander doesn't play the Honda or API every year. So he doesn't like Florida. Okay. okay. All right. right. Okay. See we'll that. see. Yeah. Good. We'll see. He also um, hasn't
2: made a, a shit ton of bogeys at this point on those two golf courses. So yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. He's
1: what well, he's well rested. That's uh, right. No, that's it guys. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, anytime you need me, hopefully I did well enough where I don't have to beg <laughs> next time. And, um, We will, of course, continue. I love our, even though, am I the only one that thinks that there's like collusion going on in this golf draft, like Jersey's standings updates, like they're becoming more and more intermittent, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Um, and I I don't trust it.
0: Let me ask you this. How worried were you all when Hovland and Gooch and then Henley were all in the top 15 and your boy got him. I mean, I'm I'm trying to run away from the field. I have been, and that's with, uh, Bryson DeChambeau not even playing <laughs> this year. So I, I feel confident where I'm at.
1: I'm in the race for the gutter with with Kirschman. Although <laughs> P- Patrick Reed may have been like the worst pick of the draft. Like, yeah, I, I, like Patrick Reed. Yeah. May, like you may you may have made more money with Webb and Bryson than I'm going to, or Ricky. That I'm gonna, or Ricky, Ricky that I'm like you
2: could have, you could have taken Ricky and it would have been, you'd have feel better today. I, d-
1: I did take Ricky Drew.
2: Oh, <laughs> yeah. and that's why he's fighting for the guy. <laughs> but,
1: but some of, some of us never gave up on Gary. We've got, we've got some life right. with, with Gary Woodland. I had three ooh, guys ooh. in the top 10 last week with Fitz Hatton and, and Woodland. So maybe, maybe signs of life out of me. That's right. I love it. it.
0: Well, let's really, let's appreciate. We got Andy and Drew, obviously appreciate you, but Andy, I really appreciate you joining us. You're a pro. You're excellent at what you do, but also you're a good buddy. And we're really thankful for your time. Thanks for being with us on a Monday night, but let's good luck. And let's last time we talked, you won a GPP. So let's win another GPP. What do you say?
1: Let's do it, man. Thanks again, guys. This is a blast.
0: Thank you, Andy. All right. Well, one love. <laughs> I thought.